0: Father, thank you for this day, and today you did give us our daily bread, and you did it yesterday, and you did it the day before. We, we thank you for that. We've been given so much. There's so much that we assume that we will have because we, uh, live, in this, we live in this country. Uh, So much has come to us, so much uh, is around us, so much is in our possession. We uh, honor you and thank you because we know it all comes from your hand. Uh, Perhaps some of us today, as we have been uh, walking through life and making decisions and thinking about uh, where we are in life, have uh, been a little disappointed because we've been looking at those who have more. And whenever we do that, we start to lose heart, and the tendency is to complain because we're comparing. And whenever we compare, it robs us of our contentment. So, Lord, give us perspective tonight. Uh, smooth us out, even us out. Don't let us uh, don't let us fall off the trail. There is a path of righteousness that you want us to follow. And we are here tonight, Lord, to hear from you. We are here to follow you. We're not here just to listen. We're here to uh, to listen and we're here to uh, obey. And those two things basically add up to following you. So we want to do this tonight, Lord, with our whole hearts. Uh, some of us are in real need of encouragement tonight. I think of the guy I talked with briefly this afternoon, and uh, he was just flat out. Uh, he, he was out of courage. Somebody just pulled the drain plug, and uh, all his courage left, and, he, he was, and and he had good reason. I mean some, he'd taken some shots. And uh, Lord, when that happens, we, we can lose hope. For the guys that are in that situation tonight, give them hope. Not some kind of futile hope or some kind of ethereal hope, but hope that's based on your word. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, and your eye is upon us. Some of us, Lord, we, uh, we need to be reminded that you're there and that you're sovereign and that you're in charge of everything that happens in our lives. You're in charge of the great things, and you're in charge of the things that we don't like, but they are all in our lives for a purpose, and you are... orchestrate every single thing that comes into our lives, and you are sovereign over those things. Uh, Tonight, Lord, as we ask for perspective, we also ask for wisdom. We're studying this book of Proverbs, which is about wisdom. Help us to embrace wisdom, help us to apply it, help us to live off of it on Friday afternoon when we're faced with a situation that we're not anticipating that's where we that's when we're going to need wisdom or saturday morning or next monday whenever it's going to come and it'll come may we draw on that wisdom so teach us instruct us open our hearts open our minds don't let us fight you but don't don't let us block what you're trying to do in our lives may we be receptive men we ask and we ask these things in Jesus name amen She couldn't believe it when her husband gave her the new Lexus. Uh, what a gift. Could not believe it. Greatest car she ever had. Nicest car she ever had. And she was, you know, got a crash course when her husband gave it to her. And She loves this car. She's drive down the freeway, and, and, and she, she just loves it. The ride, the feel, the leather, the smell, everything's great. She goes to turn on the radio, and uh, she can't turn it on. She can't get a station. She can't get anything. Well, there's a Lexus dealership. She whips in there, and she says to the guy, I I can't get this radio going. He goes, well, this is a a voice-activated radio. She says, you're kidding. He goes, no. He he said, you just tell it. See the little switch? You just push that. It's voice-activated. And all you do is tell it what you want, and it'll find it, and it'll play it. He said, "Uh, uh, who's your favorite singer? And uh, he says, just speak it out. She says, Nelson. And the radio says, David, Ricky, or Willie. She said, Willie. And immediately, on the road again, starts playing on the radio. She said, That's unbelievable. He said, Say something else. She said, Beatles. She loves you. Starts playing. She said, This is incredible. I mean,. Next few days, she's loving this radio. I mean, you know, something will pop in her mind. So Beach Boys, boom, it, it starts playing. Oh, she's driving home one day, and as she's almost to the house. These two teenage boys cut in front of her, cut her off. Just about put her in the ditch. She's, Idiots! And the French national anthem comes on. <laughs> As sung by uh, Jane Fonda and John Kerry. Uh, that was. No, I heard that on 60 Minutes. Somebody, was that you, Bob, that sent that to me? Yeah. Well, I didn't use the word that was in the joke. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, God will forgive you. But it still worked. It still worked. We're in Proverbs, we're in Proverbs 3. We're studying wisdom. When you get into Proverbs, you're, doing, you're, you're looking at wisdom. You're looking at two things. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Chuck, I didn't know Chuck was going to be doing his thing on, on uh, family. But, um, and he's focusing pretty much on family. There's a name for a ministry, come to think of it. Uh, focus on family. Just thought I'd throw that out if you're looking for a name for a ministry. Uh, that's what he's doing. And he's talking about children and parents and all that. There's, that's a part of what's in Proverbs. There's a lot more to it. But as we've pointed out, Proverbs is written from a father to a son. Uh, It covers a host of subjects. In the first nine chapters, you have a father instructing his son, generally speaking, about moral issues in life. And then when you get into 10, you start getting into the actual, short, pithy, concise Proverbs. But Generally speaking, verses one through nine, it's a father instructing a son about the moral issues that he is going to face as he goes through life, because he's going to face issues as he goes through life, and he's going to face them on a daily basis, as as we face them on a daily basis. Um, where we live, you can't get cable, so I got I've got a satellite, I got Direct TV, but I've got all kinds of problems with it. So I had these guys out, and they put in a new dish for me, and uh, just happened a couple of days ago, so last night, I'm flipping around, and suddenly in front of me, um, Sybil Shepherd is walking around naked as a jaybird, uh, from a movie she made, you know, 30 years ago, yeah, and uh, I, I got to set controls, didn't set the controls, you see, now, you're going to encounter that. Now, the question is, what what do you do with something like that? Well, you either put controls on your life or you don't put controls on your life. If if you're not concerned about that, you don't put any locks on that thing. I had it locked. I just forgot to relock it. Uh, Wisdom would say, lock it. Foolishness would say, don't lock it. If you've got a son, you've got to teach him about that stuff and how to face that stuff before it ever comes into his life because he's going to face it. Uh, proverbs is centered around a father coaching a son Uh, same thing applies to a daughter but it's interesting to me that when we're talking in the context of wisdom uh, when it comes to walking through life where that is to be demonstrated and where it is to be conveyed is in the family it's not a mother instructing a son It's a father instructing his son. In too many homes in America, the wisdom is from a mother teaching the children. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Up until the 1870s in America, parenting books were addressed to fathers. About the 1870s, it began to shift, and parenting books began to be addressed to mothers. That violates what the scripture says. Are we saying mothers aren't important? You know we're not saying that. Mothers are incredibly important. But if anyone is central in a home, it's a father. A a father is the the compass. A father is the anchor. When a father isn't present in a home, there are severe consequences. When a, 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 a father leaves, there are severe consequences. When a father dies... There are severe consequences. But there are, th- this is interesting. David Blankenhorn, in his book, Fatherless America, points out that um, the average age life expectancy for men, uh, you know, over the last, um, you know, three, four hundred years and even before then, uh, I mean, you were doing well if you lived to be in your 40s because uh, of disease. So men would die, and it was not uncommon for children to become fatherless. But there is a di- big difference between a child becoming fatherless because his father died as opposed to becoming fatherless because his father has left. When, 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 a, when a child loses his father to death, there is closure because it is part of life. But when a child loses his father because his father chooses to leave you don't have closure um, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago I was reading this book this biography on William Randolph Hearst and um, they interviewed one of his sons who is now in his 80s and as they were talking about the son uh, the comment was made by the author of the book that this man in his 80s has never really fully recovered from uh, from the fact that his father uh, left him and his brothers. The guy's 80 years old. Um, There was a book called, uh, I think it's called Second Chances. It just popped into my head. Judith, I haven't looked at this book in five years. She wrote a book. She has studied children of divorce. And she's been doing this study for a long, long time. Some of those children whose parents were divorced are now in their 50s. Wallerstein, way to hum, Huh? Edith. Actually, it's Judith. But I'll bet you a tootsie roll pop is Judith. But we'll do that later. But anyway, it's Wallerstein. And what she talks about in this book, you read the whole book, how horrible this is. People in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they're still grieving over the fact that their father left, that their parents were divorced. And then you get to the last chapter, and you know what she says? This, you're overwhelmed with how sad this is, and then you know what she says? But divorce is necessary. The whole book, 95% of the book, is how bad this is and what it does to people and how it breaks their heart and how it destroys people. And then you get to the end, and, and it, it's, but you've got to have it. No, you don't. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. There are always um, two trails, always. Jesus spoke of two trails. Jesus uh, said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And then Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Proverbs 3, if you'll note verse 13. We're going to talk tonight about the path of wisdom or the trail of wisdom, because a path is a trail. We'll pick up in... uh, We'll, we'll pick up at verse 13, and we'll just kind of roll into this, and I want to go back and make some observations. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Now, jump down to 17. Speaking of wisdom, he says, Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. There is a path. Everyone chooses a path in life. Um, When Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, the fact of the matter is that most men are on the wrong path, going the wrong direction. Broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction, Jesus said. You know, that's a a bad road to be on, if it leads to destruction. But the fact of the matter is, the majority of men, the majority of people on this earth, are on the wrong path, going the wrong way, on their way to destruction destruction but then jesus said but narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are those who find it Uh, after we come to know christ i think in a very real sense after we know the lord i think every day we're still choosing what path we're going to get on every day we make that choice am i going to follow the broad road that leads to destruction or am i going to follow the narrow gate that leads to life when, when you're following Christ, you never go downstream. You're always going upstream. You're always going against the, the current. You're always going against the culture. If you feel like you're in the minority, it's because you are in the minority. If you feel you're outnumbered, it's because you are outnumbered. Because most people are on the wrong path, going the wrong way, and they're going to wind up in destruction. But God, out of his mercy, has been so kind to call us to himself. And to place with us a, a new heart and to put us on, and to put us on the right path. The right path. The, one of the responsibilities of a father is to help instruct his son about the two paths that are available uh, the path of wisdom and the other path, which is the path of foolishness. The broad road, if you get on a broad road that's heading for destruction, down on the Florida Keys, they got these amazing bridges that span those islands that go for miles and miles and miles. And every once in a while there will be some kind of accident. Ship will hit one, or uh, something'll happen. You, you've seen this on TV. And a section of that huge span comes out. So what happens? Car two will wind up in, in the water, and then someone will hit the brakes. And then what they do is they get out and they're trying to stop cars. Now if you see if you're if you're surrounded by water and you're on this road and you're heading for, you know, another island and and you see some guy out here going like this and you just wave at him and keep going 70 miles an hour, you're an idiot. You're a fool because you're headed for destruction. It is the responsibility of a father to teach. Notice if you would in Proverbs three, as we see all the way through Proverbs, verse one, "My son, my son," and we've been through this before, uh, pointing out how often you see that term in Proverbs. You see it in three one. You see it in three eleven. My son. You see it in four one. Hero sons. You see it in verse in chapters one and two. You're going to see it in five. You're going to to see it all the way through Proverbs. It's a father instructing his son about wisdom to take the right path, to take the right trail as he goes through life. I alluded to a study a few weeks ago, and I didn't have the study with me. But I alluded to a study that was done in regard to two families. And they have traced these families back to... uh, Uh, male ancestors in the 1700s. The first one being Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Talked about him a few weeks ago. Uh, Before we had political correctness, if you'd read an article in the World Book Encyclopedia or the Encyclopedia Botanical about Jonathan Edwards, they would say he's the greatest mind that America has ever produced. Uh, A pastor... Remember I talked about spiders? He was the guy that loved the spiders and saw the glory of God in the spiders and the joy that there had to be in spiders because they got to swing around and do all this stuff and make these webs. And if God would do that for spiders, how much more so would God delight in making us joyful? You see, when he studied science, he saw the glory of God because he knew God created those spiders. Jonathan Edwards, uh, they did a study of his family. Uh, he was a pastor uh, for a short time, president of Princeton University, before he died of a smallpox inoculation. He was from a good Christian family. He and his wife, who was a wonderful woman, Sarah, they had 11 children. Uh, from among his traceable 1,400 descendants came 300 clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 attorneys and a dean of an outstanding law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, numerous mayors of large cities, governors of three states, a controller of the United States Treasury, a vice president of the United States. Um, The family uh, wrote cumulatively 135 books and sent 100 missionaries overseas. That's from one man who made it a priority uh, in spite of his busy schedule and his steady schedule of 11 hours a day to make sure that he spent time with his children instructing them in the right path. And look at what comes out of that for generations. They also compared Edwards, his family, with a man who was a contemporary of Edwards by the name of Max Jukes. Max Jukes was a man of no principle. He married a woman of like character in 1677. He lived in New York until 1720. Among his known descendants, 1,200 were studied. 310 were professional beggars. 440 had lives that were physically wrecked by debauchery and uncleanliness. That means venereal disease. 130 were sent to prison for an average of 13 years each. Seven were murderers, 60 were habitual thieves, 190 were public prostitutes. Only 20 of the 1,200 jukes ever had gainful employment. The others were either criminals or lived on state aid. This notorious clan cost the state of New York a total of $1,200,000 in welfare and custodial charges. That's money back then, not by today's dollars. You see the comparison? Now, let me say a word to you if you're here tonight, and uh, your last name is Jukes. (laughs) And you know what I'd say to you? I'd say you put a new link in your family chain. You give your life to Christ, and you follow Christ with your whole heart, and you can reverse this. You see? You can reverse it. Uh, Chuck on Sunday was talking about the fact that there are strains of sin, this was so good, that are passed on. As genetically, there are physical traits that are passed on in families. There are sin traits that are passed on in families. He 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 had a great point when he talked about Abraham. Abraham twice was in situations where Sarah w- uh, political king an official saw her and she was very beautiful and uh, he lied that she was his wife uh, because he was afraid of what the guy would do to him and later the guy upset because you know you didn't tell me the truth well he had a son by the name of Isaac Isaac did the same thing you see this happens sometimes in families uh strains of sin are passed on from generation to generation to generation. Um, that's why it is so important. So we, it, it, we, we've got sin in our hearts. I, uh, I, I think I told you last year about my friend whose dad bought a brand new 64 Chevy and just really nice, really nice maroon Chevy Impala super Sport, And uh, he let my friend Jim take that to the prom the next weekend. So Jim and his buddy picked up their dates, you know, went to the prom. Um, his buddy is, is, is just drinking like a chump and pipe. I mean, just drinking, putting down beer like crazy. Well, they get in the car, Jim's driving, they drop the girls off, and on the way back to drop his buddy off, uh, Jim's friend gets sick. He's not feeling good. In fact, he gets in the back seat just so he can stretch out because he's feeling so bad. And when he's back there, he starts puking in the back seat. Starts throwing up. Brand new, brand new Chevy Impala. So Jim gets the guy out of the car, takes him home, and he goes to one of these 24-hour deals, and he starts cleaning that sucker. He's pulling up the seat. He's doing everything. He's wiping the stuff. And then in the morning, first thing, he goes to one of these car washes, the steam thing, and they're doing the whole thing, and then all that. And then he takes it back to the house. Um, a few minutes later, his dad gets in the Chevy, puts it in reverse, pulls out, goes about three feet, and stops. And... Uh, dad smelled it. They could never, ever get that smell out of that car. Ever. It was down in the carpet. It was in the fibers. It was under the upholstery. It was under the seat and the foam. It was everywhere. And when you got in that Chevy from that day on, it was permeated with the smell of vomit. It was a it was a beautiful memorial service. <laughs> well, I'm glad I wasn't my dad. I mean, that, that's what happened. Uh, see, that's what happens with sin. Sin is in us. There, there, there's a concept, and Chuck talked about depravity. There's a concept called total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean we're as bad as we can be. But total depravity means that every part of our being has been tainted by sin. It's in your foam, it's in your fibers, it's in your upholstery, it's everywhere. Uh, That's why when kids come out, they're prone to foolishness. It's the job of a father to get them on the right path and instruct them in wisdom so that they don't destroy themselves. That's the whole point. Uh, Jonathan Edwards obviously had some biblical priorities, and look what he produced. Max Jukes didn't, and look what he produced. We tend to be so present tense. We tend to be so present focused uh, where we are in life, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Churchill said it's hard to have vision uh, further than you can see, but there are points in life you've got to think about that horizon. You've got to think about not just the generation that's in front of you. You've got to think about the next one and the next one and the next one because that's your job as a father. This is why wisdom is so critically important, especially when we live in a culture that is punting on wisdom on a daily basis. There is a path to wisdom, and every good and godly father wants his child to walk the path of wisdom. So where are they going to learn wisdom? It's not the teacher's job to give them wisdom. Uh, I'm talking about the school teacher. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job to give them wisdom. It's not the youth pastor's job to give them wisdom. It's not Chuck's job to give them wisdom. Uh, uh, It's your job. And, And as we have observed about Solomon solomon had the proverbs of god in his head but he didn't have the proverbs of god in his heart you got to have them in both places because they're watching us they're watching us so very closely there is a path there is a path to wisdom there are markers there's there are markers on this path um When, when my son John was uh, graduating from high school, we went to the graduation ceremony. And you've probably you've been to many of those. And uh, big, in fact, it was at North Texas, you know, the big uh, basketball arena. <clears throat> and they, uh, they were going through all the speeches as they do at those ceremonies. And this real smart girl got up who was valedictorian. I mean, on a four O, she had like a three, You know, just, just a huge brain. And she got up and was giving her speech. And as she was giving her speech, she said something along these lines to her graduating peers. She said, as we leave this high school, let us make sure that we do not follow the path of our parents or the path of our grandparents. Let us go forge a new path. Let us go a direction no one in our family has ever gone before. Let us blaze a new trail. And all the kids, "Ah." and it sounded really cool, but that's really stupid, (laughs) especially if you have godly parents you see, and it's interesting, isn't it, that as, when you're 18, that sounds good, but when you get about, you give it 10 years, and you start, if you, if you were given godly instruction, the tendency is you start moving back, if you go the other direction, you start seeing the wisdom, you start seeing the wisdom of that path, uh, there's always wisdom in getting on a marked trail, isn't there, um, Mary and I were watching a movie the other night um, with Jimmy Stewart called uh, River Bend. And it was he was Huh? Bend of the River. Bend of the River? River Bend. <laughs> bend of the River. Hey, I'll take it either way. It was a good movie though. Technicolor, nineteen fifty one. It was good. And they and he's leading this wagon train from Missouri out to uh out to Oregon. Uh but at a certain point they gotta go around the bend of the river. And uh, they take a steamboat up to Columbia, and then they got to get off, and then they got to find a way around the mountain. Anyway, it's, it's a good movie. But what was interesting is they got on the Oregon Trail, and the Oregon Trail was a marked trail. There's always wisdom in getting on a marked trail, as opposed to going your own direction. See, when you left Missouri 150 years ago, you had two options. You're going to go west, you're going to go to Oregon. You've got two options. You've never been to Oregon before, you can start heading west and figure it out for yourself, the best way to get there. Or you can get on the Oregon Trail, which is a marked trail. This book is a marked trail. Uh, not just Proverbs, but the whole thing. Turn over to Ecclesiastes on the right, just to the right. Um, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. A lot of biographical stuff in Ecclesiastes. Uh, there's some, I, I, I've highlighted things in Ecclesiastes. Uh, notice Ecclesiastes 4. Here are some marks along the trail in Ecclesiastes, marks of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction that's dripping with wisdom did you get that a poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction Uh, that's why teachability is such an important thing in the life of a young man or in the life of a daughter uh and, and and hey look back on your own life we all had periods in our lives when we were stubborn what do you do when your kid gets stubborn well you don't give up you keep working with them hey when they're pliable and when they want to do it your way and when they're easy to get along with and when they think you hung the moon that's easy but it's when they get stubborn and they start exercising their own now that's what separates the men from the boys That's what puts you you on your face before Almighty God. That's where you say, Lord, I don't have any wisdom. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I need your help here. When my son John went through a period of rebellion, it about put me under the table. I'm telling you, I lost all my wisdom. I was was in over my head. Uh, That happens as a parent. It happens at certain times. Uh, You'll do well in this season of life with a kid. And then you get in the next season and you don't do well and you lost but see it all drives us back to the Lord. Ultimately, he's got to give us what we need when a kid's pliable when he's listening, it's easy. But the real work is when they won't listen and they're stubborn. That's where you need the wisdom of almighty God in order to parent. And you'll do what's right and you're still not getting a response. So what do you do? You keep doing what's right. You keep planting the crop. You keep working the ground. You keep working the soil. You keep giving it fertilizer. You keep watering. You keep doing it, although you're not getting any crop. Boy, that's hard. That's discouraging. But what you don't do is become passive. What you don't do is, is fall off the stage. What you don't do is just throw up your hands in frustration and say, oh, well. Or say to your wife, here, you, you, you take it. That's not her job to take it. It's your job. You see, the curse of the American male is passivity. The last thing that God wants is for his men to be passive. The mark of a godly, masculine man, uh, there are several of them. Uh, One of them is initiative Uh, you act, you step, Uh, you don't wait. Uh, another one's responsibility. Is that your child? and you're responsible for the child, you see. Uh, what, what's happened in America and it's happened with Christian men is that we have left to others the responsibility of putting wisdom in the lives of our children and grandchildren. We can't do that. That's our job. That is our job. For fathers, we went back to Deuteronomy 6, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord. That's your job. It's my job. We're responsible before Almighty God to do this. When when you've got a teachable lad, when you've got a teachable young man, you've got something on your hands to work with. There's no greater opportunity than to have a son or a daughter who's teachable. So if they're teachable, teach them. Teach them because somebody's going to mold them and somebody's going to shape them. Did you catch that? A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. Receive instruction. That's what happened to Solomon at the end of his life. He quit receiving instruction. Um, look at uh, verse 10 of, of 5, chapter 5, verse 10. Here's, I'm just giving you some trail markers because we're talking about the path of wisdom. Uh, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Uh, you love money? Guess what? You'll never be satisfied with it, ever. There's wisdom. Because money is insatiable. You can never have enough. If you love it, if you love it, you can never have enough. The head of the Rockefeller family, old John D., wealthiest man on the face there. Somebody asked you, Mr. Rockefeller, yes. How much would it take to make you happy? Just another million. Just another million. That, that, that won't do it. Um, flip over to... Uh, uh, I lost it. Flip over to uh, 8, verse 11. Here's wisdom for a culture. And here's wisdom for a father in a family when it comes to discipline. Discipline because the sentence I'm in 8:11 because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil did you catch that when 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 there is wickedness and just punishment is not rendered quickly what happens the culture becomes more wicked and becomes more evil gosh that's us to a T isn't it you see I mean, you can do some heinous crime and you can just appeal and appeal and appeal and appeal. I mean, we see this every day. And so what happens? That encourages others because there is no retribution. That's wisdom. Uh, give you some more here. Look at uh, 9, verse uh, verse 3. This explains a lot. There is evil in all that is done under the sun; that there is one fate for all men. That's death. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. We got a bunch of insane people. Why? Because they're living without God and they're on that bridge going 75 miles an hour and they're trying to flag them down and they just keep going. That's insanity. They're on the wrong path, going the wrong direction. Your son needs to know that. Your grandson needs to know that. Look at uh, uh, verse 9 of 9. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. That's a pretty darn good verse. So what do you do? Enjoy life with the woman that you love all the days of your fleeting life because it's fleeting. You got a good wife? You're a blessed man. Enjoy your time together. Doesn't get any better than that. I remember when we lived in Little Rock. Uh, Josh was about four or five years old. And we just had dinner, and we were out in the backyard. He wanted me to shoot baskets with him. And I said, okay, we'll go out back. So I'm shooting baskets with Josh. Gosh, he was, I mean, he might have been like three. He was just a little sucker. I mean, he couldn't even. So we went back there, and we're, you know, he's, he's doing this. And so we're, and then, you know, he'd dribble, and then he'd pick up the basketball and run for a touchdown. You know, you can do that when you're three. And then John came out, and he started playing. John six. And so we, you know, I got John and Josh, and so I'm, I'm, they're on the same team, and I'm playing against them, you know. And then Rachel came out a few minutes later, and uh, Rachel was eight. So we're, you know, just out there after dinner. It's probably a summer night, you know, because it was probably eight o'clock, and it's still light, and we're just playing we're playing basketball. Then Mary got off the phone with her mom and she comes out. So we're all just out there after dinner and we're shooting baskets and you know, horse, oh, I'm we'll just having, you know. And then the ball went off John's foot and it went under the deck. So we had to stop and John went under the deck and he's crawling under the deck. I can still see him. And he's getting the ball, and our little retriever, Sugar, as he's trying to get the ball, is licking his face. It's funny because it was like all of a sudden, I can still remember this very clearly. It was like I saw a freeze frame. You know, on a VCR, you can just freeze it. I'm standing there waiting for John to get the ball. It was just like, it just froze. And there's John under the deck getting the ball. He's got those blue shorts with the white stripes, and he's got his socks coming up to his knees, and Sugar's licking his face. And Mary's standing under the basket, and Rachel's behind her and hugging her mom from behind. And Josh is standing to the left of the basket. And he's looking up in the sky with his mouth hanging open. I still remember. That's what he, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was doing. That's what he was doing. I remember looking at that. And it was just a normal night. You know, my suburban needed a transmission. Uh, we needed carpet in the family room. Um, I, I had some uh, deacons that were demon-possessed. <laughs> you know, we had some stuff to work through at the church. Uh, it was just normal stuff. They thought I was demon-possessed. I shouldn't kid about that. But, we, we, yeah, we were having some conflict. It was just normal life, just normal stuff. And I remember, I remember, for some reason, looking at that and thinking to myself, it doesn't get any better than this. And you know what? It doesn't. It doesn't get any better than that. And uh, I told Mary later that night about that. And I said, You know, Mary, one day we're gonna be in a rest home somewhere, a retirement home somewhere, and we're gonna be sitting out on the you know, on the deck and in our chairs, and and you'll say, Steve, you remember when we used to shoot baskets with the kids in the backyard in Little Rock? Yeah. Yeah those, oh, yeah, those those were the good old days. See, we're living in the good old days, but we forget. You got a good wife? You're living in the good old days. You wait till she dies. Some of you guys have lost your wives. You remember those days with great longing in your heart. Let me show you another one here. You guys still there? Look at verse 10 of 9. 9's pretty good whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might there's wisdom, teach that to your kids teach that to your grandson teach when he works, work hard show up early don't show up late these are markers on the trail look at 10 verse 2 a wise man's heart directs him towards the right but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left Receive ye the word of the Lord. (laughs) Is that not a great verse or what? Huh? I tell you, let's just stop and pray right now. We're done, man. I don't need to watch any debate. I just need to read Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2. Let's read it again. A wise man's heart direct. What does the word of God say? I'll let, I'm giving, I'm just reading it. You make the application. A wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. That is true. It's flat out true, and we see it every day. Isn't it? And that's not a political statement. You can apply it if you want to, but the principle is true. You see it. You just flat out see it. No, You're getting political. I'm, I'm reading the verse. Let's go back to Proverbs. I've been waiting for that all night. That was worth coming, wasn't it? Underline that. You'll put that on your refrigerator, man. Proverbs 3. Let's go back there. We're talking about the trail of wisdom. It's a father's job to instruct his son and his daughter about wisdom, of taking the right trail. When you get on the right trail, there are benefits. There are uh perks if you will quite frankly when you get on the path of wisdom there are things that are going to accrue into your life that will not accrue into your life if you get on the path of destruction and the path of foolishness you are asking for trouble when you get on the path of foolishness Um, i'm going to get to proverbs 3 but go to psalm 73 Okay? Because, see, sometimes we don't buy this. Because, see, what happens is sometimes we think, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm on the right path. I'm following the Lord, yet things aren't going my way. But I see all these guys that are on the left that are walking in foolishness, and everything seems to go their way. Look at this guy, Asaph. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he sees all these guys living like hell, and, and, and their lives are going great. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. That means they're prosperous, they're healthy. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, their garment, the garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from uh, fatness. And again, that means health or prosperity. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They do whatever they want. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? Is there any knowledge with the most high? In other words, I'm getting away with this. God doesn't know what I'm doing behold these are the wicked they are always at ease they have increased in wealth surely in vain i've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence for i've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning these guys are living like hell but they got all the money they need they got good health they got nice houses they they got it all and look at my life my life's so hard this guy almost stumbled over this he couldn't figure that i'm on the right path they're on the wrong path they're being blessed i'm not blessed you know anybody like that they're on the wrong path And everything seems to be going their way. They're getting all the promotions. They're getting all the money. Everything's going their way. Their portfolio, everything. Boom, boom, boom. They're just climbing the ladder. Verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. See, that's what you got to do. You got to perceive their end. This is not all there is. I was in Home Depot. Somebody was getting me a part or something. I'm waiting there, and I'm next to a magazine rack, and there's an architectural digest with Rod Stewart on the front of it. And it's said Rod Stewart's beautiful Tuscany house in Los Angeles. And I'm waiting for this guy. I'm waiting for this. Finally, I pick up the magazine. I want to see this house. I want to tell you something. It was a knockout house. It was unbelievable. I mean, drop-dead, unbelievable house this guy had. Then it showed every room. Every room. Well, Anyway. I mean, some woman decorated it. But, I mean, it was, a, it was kind of a feminine-looking house. But, I mean, everything. I mean, just everything. It was perfect, perfect. And they had one shot of Rod Stewart there leaning up against the, the fireplace mantel. And, you know, and he's got his plaid sports coat and his tie. You know, and he's just... I saw no wife. I saw no kids. I just saw stuff. And you know what I thought of? I thought that sucker better enjoy it. Because he's on the wrong path. Unless he finds Christ. That is so sad. It is so sad. It's the wrong path. It looks good. It's the wrong path. There are advantages to getting on God's path. And let's go back. Let's finally get to Proverbs 3. How would that be? Uh, last week, we talked about some bees that uh, Dale Burke had come up with about the busyness of life. You get busy, you get behind, you get buried. Sometimes you're broke, sometimes you're bummed. You remember those bees? In Proverbs, they got peas. Peas. We saw in verse 17 about the path, okay? Now I want you to look at verse 14. In verse 14, there is the prophet of wisdom. He's talking about wisdom and he says, for her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more, here's another P. Wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. You got two words there. These are big words in our culture. First one is profit. We're into profit. Profit is a big deal to us. Everybody wants to profit. Profit's a good thing. There is a, a profit that comes from living by God's wisdom that you get nowhere else. I talked with a guy this afternoon, and he was, we were just talking. He was very candid, very honest. We, we only talked 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, he just, he's just going through a rough time, and it's been a prolonged period it's been hard I have to tell you when, he, when I talked to him I was expecting him to tell me um, I'm not giving anything away here. he's a pastor he called asking if I could call him I, I never met the guy I call him back he calls me back today um, I need to share something with you I said fine and here's what I'm expecting I've been pastor in X amount of years. That, that, uh, I met a woman in my church. I got involved. I hear this all the time. Here's what I heard. I've been in a tough stretch, prolonged, difficult time in the church, been through some stuff, working through family-wise. But I've been faithful to my wife. I've never violated our vows. Um, I'm I'm struggling with a lack of joy in my life, um, and I'm trying to get it back. And so I'm listening to this guy for about five minutes, and I said to him, I said, I got to tell you, um, you're in better shape than you think, because you didn't tell me that you're involved with some woman in your church. You got to praise God for that. I mean i know you're having a rough time and a hard time and i understand it. i thank you for your honesty but you know what you didn't do something really stupid thank god for that I, I thought you did i thought you did and you're saying you know i ruined my life and how do i have my hate my wife hates me you're not saying any of that stuff you're telling me your wife loves you and your son loves you right he Goes yeah so man, you're a blessed man no marriage is just flawless no movie just cruising no you know you know, you get married and you get in that limo when you get married? You better enjoy that limo because it's the last time you're getting in it. <laughs> I mean, marriage isn't a limo ride in a tuxedo, is it? Then you're going to deal with real life, and you're going to have good times and bad times. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have some good times. You're going to have some bad times. That's, that's marriage. You see? So I'm talking to this guy. You know what? You didn't divorce your wife. She didn't divorce you. You guys are still together. Are you in a tough stretch? Man, listen, I, I'm for you. I, I, he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. But you know what? You haven't been foolish. In your pain, you haven't been foolish. You've been wise. You're following the Lord at the right time. Does this guy have a lot of profit in his life? No, because he's in a little tiny church. You can't pay him anything. Has he got all the stuff in it? Does he have a lot of profit? Not financially. He's got profit in other ways. You see? You guys know what I'm saying, don't you? Yeah. You got profit? Precious. Wisdom is precious. Wisdom will save you from a broken heart. Wisdom will save you from a broken life. Uh, wisdom will save you. Wisdom is precious because if you can get a hold of wisdom, you, you see, it, it enables you to live in a way that you can pass on. It, it, it enables you to live in a way that children can see and children can emulate. Hey, let me ask you something. If you guys are going through a tough stretch in your marriage, and I'm going to be wrong with you. Whenever I talk about this, guys that are here that are divorced start feeling guilty. All right, let me say something to you if you're divorced. Okay? If you're divorced um, and you initiated a divorce and you weren't willing to work on it and you weren't willing to uh, reconcile and, and you're still not willing, then you ought to be guilty. Now, in this day and age, because if you're divorced, it's God's will for you to reconcile. Now, if you've remarried, there's nothing you can do and that's, that's water under the bridge. But if you were the one that went after the divorce and wanted the divorce and initiated and made up your mind and your wife is not remarried, you want to know the will of God, you get your tail back there and do everything you can do to reconcile and put that family back together. You dating around, knock that stuff off and get back there and start building that thing. You don't need to see some sweet young thing. You're just going to screw her up because you've got stuff in your life you haven't dealt with. You get back there, and you start rebuilding. Now, if there's remarriage, there's nothing you can do. Now, if your wife divorced you, and you didn't want it, that's a whole different ballgame. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? See, not everyone who's divorced, we put divorced people in the same category. I meet a lot of divorced people, they didn't want the divorce. At that wedding, one of those individuals did not want that divorce. They couldn't stop it. One of them really wanted it, and they got it. Those are two different situations. They both had issues. They had both made mistakes. But one of them forced it. The other one was willing to reconcile. You guys, you get the point, don't you? Now, your kids are watching. One day your kids are going to, rep- they're going to get married, they're going to go through a tough stretch. Kids tend to emulate what they saw. And when they hit a rough stretch, they're probably going you know what? I'm sure mom and dad had a rough stretch. You know what? Mom and dad stay together. Dad stay there. You know what? I'm going to stick it out. That's a great thing. That's a great thing to pass on to your kids. I got two more Ps. They're in the text. What can I do? All right? 16 says, long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Well, what that means is, uh, is that there is a blessing and a prosperity that comes to those who live by wisdom, ultimately. Uh, I, I, you know, there, there's really no great virtue in just growing old, is there? I mean, just to grow old, stuff breaks down. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, even as you're sitting here. Yeah, I mean, we break down. That's what happens. I mean, I mean, who wants to live to be 115? I don't. I mean, chump, nothing works. I mean, you can't keep, you can't keep oil in your crankcase at 115. Who wants to live to be 115? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I don't. Do you? No. See, but, but, but here, here's what I talking about. You can grow old and have wisdom. That's the right kind. See, the, 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 there is a beauty in someone who is older and mature and who knows the Lord and has wisdom. That's what it's talking about. That's the blessing. That's the prosperity of God. Now catch the next P in the next verse. It's talking about wisdom. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. See, ultimately, when we go God's way, when we follow him, there is a peace that settles in our lives. There is a peace that he gives that passes all understanding. What's Philippians 4 say? Anybody know what I'm talking about? What is it, 4, 6? 6 and 7. Get me started. How does it start? Somebody in here has got to know that verse. That's not what I'm thinking. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. shall guard your hearts. See, so, you're worried? You're concerned about job or about this? Well, let me ask you something. You walk in with wisdom? Are you walk in with integrity? Well, then you let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses. But see, if, if, if you're compromising integrity, if you're compromising your word, if, if you're running around on your wife, you're not going to have any peace. Look at this. Look, look, look what it says later in Proverbs 3. Um, Uh, Look at 21. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Why? Because you're clean before the Lord. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Sweet. You see, yeah, but I got this stuff I'm working on, I'm worried if it doesn't come through. Okay, so you're worried. Be, what does it say? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God and the peace of God. You can be worried and give it to him and have peace without anything changing. What's today? Wednesday? I always do my taxes by October 15th. I'm just sharing a personal thing in my life here. I always take two extensions because I'm usually writing a book, and anyway, it's a long story. I always do that. And I was talking to my accountant, and on Thursday, I had it all figured out, and we talked, but I, I, they said something on Thursday, which made me think, wait a minute. Do I owe more than I thought? Wait a minute, I thought I was all paid. Do I... And I wasn't, it was too late. The office, I couldn't get him on the phone. And, I, and it was about 9 o'clock at night, and I started thinking about that. And I know me, and you know what I start doing when I start thinking about something like that? I start chewing on that sucker like a bone. And you know what I decided? I said, you know what? You know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this tonight. I've done this for 54 chumpin' years. I'm not doing this. You know what, Lord? I thought we had it figured. We probably do. I may be misread. I'm not going to let this ruin this night. So I'm not going to get irritable, and I'm not going to get tense, and I'm not going to get short with Mary. You know what I'm going to do? I did it the best I could do, It's probably okay. Even if it isn't, you'll make a way. You'll make a way. I'll have to adjust something. I'll have to do it. That's right. I was in the bedroom. I just prayed. I said, Lord, I need your peace. Help me not to walk in fear. Help me not to work in anxiety here. I'm not going to be able to talk to them until Monday. Help me just to relax. You know what he did? I had to fight it off maybe two or three other times. I had to make a conscious choice to do it, to trust, to trust. It went pretty well, quite frankly. I'm starting to learn this. I'll probably be dead in two weeks. (laughs) Look at 25. Don't be afraid of sudden fear, nor on the onslaught of the wicked, if it comes. It doesn't say that. Does it? Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked, when it comes. The Bible is very realistic. You're going to have hard times. James says, count it all joy, my brethren, if you encounter various trials. No, it doesn't. Count it all join our brother, win. You and hard times will come, but you don't have to be afraid of hard times, for the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. 26, where it says the Lord will be your confidence, literally, the Lord will be at your side. I'm going to tell you something. That's the way to walk is the way of wisdom. What does Psalm 23 say? Verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So you follow his path. You just follow him. You don't go here. You don't go here. You follow him. Foolishness is here. Foolishness is there. This is wisdom. And there's security. And there's favor. And there's blessing. And you can sleep at night. And he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And his mercies are new every morning. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. Thank you that you really are there. Thank you that you're interested in every detail of our lives. We're on a path. We're on a trail. We're choosing every day. Give us the wisdom to choose you. Give us the wisdom to choose your word. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to learn from our past mistakes. And, Lord, those of us with children that are still in the home, give us wisdom, Lord, to be with us them so that we can share with them at the appropriate moments. They're observing us as we go through life together. They're watching us like hawks. Help us to implement what we believe and what we teach. For those of us, our kids are up and out of the house. As Chuck said, it's, it's time for grandchildren. Now those grandkids are watching. We're still fathers, we're still parents, now we're grandparents. It's a different stage of life, it's a different chapter, but it's a great chapter. Lord, as we walk with you, we're teaching, we're influencing. Help us to choose that path of wisdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.